But I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles, and we're going to read together from the, uh, the Gospel according to John. Um, I have been preaching a series of sermons on the, the book of Genesis, the story of Isaac and Jacob, um, also because this is a bit of a special service uh, with a profession of faith. I've uh, thought I'd move back to the Gospels for a moment, and we also anticipate also uh, remembering the, uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the next month as well. Well, John chapter 4, there is actually a connection between Jacob we've been hearing about in our morning services, and that is we, we get to hear about a well, a well that uh, supposedly uh, Jacob dug. I say supposedly because the, the Bible doesn't uh, ever mention it, but it's very possible that this was a well that, that he uh, had dug and uh, that the Samaritans were very proud of um, and they used uh, for good reason. Um, but it's at this well that our Lord Jesus Christ met a woman there and he uh, convicted her of her sin and of her need for the gospel. So we're going to read together from the beginning part of that story, John chapter 1, 4, sorry, John 4, verse 1 through to 26. Now, for those who uh, do know your Bibles uh, quite well, you would remember that just before this, in John chapter 3, our Lord Jesus had met another person, uh, someone called Nicodemus. And I will just be referring back to that also, my sermon on this, because in some ways, such a totally different character. And yet, what Jesus showed Nicodemus is what he's going to show this woman here, and that is... Uh, the, the incredible need that each one of us have for, for the gospel. John 4, 1 through to 26. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. <clears throat> so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, oh, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I may not be thirsty, or I have to come here to draw water. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, because you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our, fa- our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but, but you say then Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Thus far the reading from God's holy word. Before I uh, proceed to preach from this, in particular the first part of uh, what we just read about, I'd like us to sing together again, uh, this time from Psalm 63, Psalm 63, verse 1, 2, and 3.
Well, I'd like to, read, to preach to you from uh, what we just read from John chapter 4. Uh, I'd like to focus on uh, verse 10 somewhat in, uh, in this sermon, although I'd, I will be making, we will be making our way through this, uh, through this account. John 4 verse 10, where Jesus answers the Samaritan woman and he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, brothers and sisters, have you ever, ever been thirsty, as in, as in really thirsty and, 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 and dying for a drink and just not able to, to have one immediately? It's a, it's a feeling, it's an experience that, that many of us would have today, but it's certainly an experience that many in a drier climate where there isn't that ready access to, to bottled water or to, uh, to taps and so forth would have had on a regular basis when you're trudging down a road and, and you're really desperate for a drink and it takes a while before you can get to a well or something where you can actually find a bit of fresh water to drink. certainly would have been the situation in, in Israel uh, back in the old days as well. And uh, we just sang from a couple of psalms in the Old Testament, from Psalm 42, Psalm 63, where we we got that feeling, that that expression of thirst, of of, of dying for water. Uh, Psalm 42, uh, that was the first psalm we sang in the service. We have verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Or we just sang from Psalm 63 in the Bible, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. And so these are two examples where you're going to have there this this sense of of longing for for a drink. But what the Bible does in these two two cases, in these two Psalms and other places as well, is it uses this uh, this sense, this feeling, this desire for drink that we often have, that, that longing for water... And he uses this as an illustration of our thirst for God, of our longing for Him, our desire for Him. But now what about you? Are you thirsty? And if you are thirsty, then the question is, what are you thirsty for? What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're, you're panting for? for? What is that you're pleading for? Do you really know what it means to be thirsty? Do you really know what it means to be really thirsty? Well, we read together from, from John chapter 4, but uh, where we're introduced to a Samaritan woman, Jesus asks her for a drink. This is a really fascinating account or so, because when Jesus comes to her and says, give me a drink, the impression that we get and the understanding we have is that here's Jesus. He's been walking along the, this dusty road. He sits down by the well. He doesn't have anything to, to draw water from the well. And here's Jesus who's thirsty. But then when you get through this account, and when you begin to read it further on in here, we discover that actually... What Jesus is trying to teach this Samaritan woman, he's not the one who's really thirsty, but she is. This is what it says, John 10, 4 verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So that's what I wish to preach to you about this morning. This is my, my message. It's on the screen or so. Christ offers true drink 
to a thirsty soul. Christ offers true drink to a thirsty soul. A couple of questions. First of all, who is thirsty? Second, what can satisfy? Well, there is in the hearts of each one of us this incredible longing, sense of longing. We, we can drown it out. Uh, we can block it out through, through this constant barrage of, of noise, of music, state of just being busy every day again, having our, 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 our minutes and our hours filled with different things. We can try to drown out by not being busy and just sort of blobbing out on the couch and just scrolling through social media. But when all these different external things are stripped away, we're still going to be longing for a deeper contentment and for true satisfaction. And actually, that's a good thing. That sense of longing, of a desire for something more, for something deeper than the lights and the cheap thrills of the world, that's a longing that, that's actually been put in there by God Himself. That's, that's because we've been created for something more. But this is also, this longing has been affected by, by sin and by our sin nature as well. And so while everybody seems to be searching for something, it doesn't mean we are naturally searching for the right thing. It does not mean we're naturally searching for God. Uh, the letter to the Romans, chapter 3, says this. It quotes from one of the Psalms. And it says that none is righteous, no, not one. And it says no one understands and no one seeks for God. That is by our own natural way outside of God's working through His Holy Spirit. And this is why although there's so much spirituality in the world, so much searching, a lot of this searching and so forth, it is still in the wrong places. Now, by the way, this is really important for us to understand when it comes to, uh, when it comes to evangelism, to sharing the gospel with others who, who, don't, who don't know Christ and don't have that relationship with Him. Everybody has needs. Everybody has some pretty real needs. They have their felt needs, their physical needs. They have these longings. And those longings need to be met. Uh, that includes a, a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of worth. It also includes various needs, food, clothing, uh, shelter, place to live, friendship, education, and so on. We need all these things. And, and these physical needs and, and, and other needs, they are, they are often though very legitimate needs. But it's, it's really important that even as we think and we understand those needs that each one of us has, there is also another very real need. And that is a need that can only be met by our Savior, Jesus Christ. By belonging to Him. And that's where we really want all our conversations to go. We want everybody to get to understand and understand our need for that Savior. And then we also then want to tell everybody about the gift that the Savior Jesus really is. And that's what our Lord Jesus is doing also in this conversation that he has with the Samaritan woman. And as you go through this conversation, it's fascinating just to see how, how Jesus himself leads this woman on to the understanding not only of her own sin and her own weakness and everything which is wrong in her life, but also of the answer that she had that point of time going to this world, didn't even realize that she was seeking. And that answer, of course, 
is Jesus himself. So we read, we read from John chapter 4. There's a story here of Jesus. He's on his way from Judea into south. He's uh, going uh, from the south. He's, he's making his way up to the north, to Galilee. Now between uh, Galilee, uh, this is where Nazareth and, and where he came from and the Sea of Galilee, between Jerusalem and Galilee, there's this area there. There was this area there called Samaria. And the people living there, they were not, they were not true Jews. Uh, they were Samaritans. What had happened is that uh, originally, this was all part of Israel, and the ten tribes of Israel had been there. But in 722 BC, the Assyrians had come, they'd invaded the land, they'd dragged most of the people off into, uh, into exile, and they replaced those Jewish people, those Israelites, they'd replaced them with other people from the nations around. And so there's other people from the nations around, they ended up in Samaria. What happened as a result of that is you had a mixture because they married in with the Jews who were there and, and, and they started to develop a, a new sort of religion. They worshipped God, but not the God of the Bible. Well, they did, but they didn't completely. And, and, and it was all mixed in with different superstitions and different ideas. It was a syncretistic idea of religion. This is also why when, when the people from Jerusalem, they went into exile 100 years later or so. And when they returned after this, it had been 400 years from uh, the time when the uh, these, these Samaritans began to live there to then, they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans because they were not true worshippers of God. Now, as time went on, these Samaritans, they went and they grabbed the Bible and the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, they said, we're going to hold on to this, but the rest of the Old Testament they threw out. And even then, they decided, they reinterpreted those, wo those words as well. Then they said, well, we do still need to... Uh, uh, worship this God and do our sacrifice and so forth. But they didn't go down to Jerusalem to go to the temple. They, they built themselves a new temple, this mountain called Mount Gerizim, which actually was very close to, to Sychar, to the place where Jacob's well is. And so that's where they worshipped and they had the sacrifices. Now, you can understand the Jewish people who worshipped in Jerusalem, they did not appreciate this. And so when they had a chance in, in 129 BC, so 130 years before 150 years before what we have now in our text, when they had the chance, the Jews went over there and they destroyed that temple. They demolished it, they flattened it. So you can understand from both sides, the Jews and the Samaritans, why there's so much bad blood between them. The Samaritans, they hated the Jews. The Jews, in turn, they despised the Samaritans. As a result of this, Especially on the Jewish side, there was many a Jew who refused to enter a city of the Samaritans who wouldn't go there. So many of them also who, who were self-righteous in their own way, what they would actually do is that instead of, if they had to go from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee, they wouldn't just take the main road through the middle of the city to, of the country to get there. They would actually go down towards the Dead Sea, cross the Jordan River, go through the other side there on the, um, uh, through what is modern-day Jordan, and they'd make their way north, and then they'd cross the Jordan River and get back into, into, um, into, the, into, into Galilee. Massive detour. But they would do this instead of being forced to spend a night in a Samaritan city. And so this is the context when Jesus and his uh, disciples, they're making their way up to Jerusalem. And that was really interesting. Sorry, making their way up to, to Galilee. It's really interesting. In John chapter 4 then, uh, it says here in verse 4, it says here in verse 3, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee. And it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Interesting language, interesting thing, which is in there in the Bible. He had to pass through. 
Now, why did he have to pass through? And on the one hand, you say, well, he didn't have to pass through because he could have gone the other way. Yes, he had to get to Galilee in some ways. But really, as we read through this, we see the main reason here is that he had someone to see. He had someone to meet there in that Samaritan city of Sychar, this woman. And that's what we're hearing about now. So verse 5 and 6. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And by the way, the sixth hour is about 12 o'clock midday. So the place he sits down is a place called Jacob's Well. His disciples go on into town to buy some food. And now Jesus sits there. Now, there's a reason why this is mentioned here. There's a, there's a historical reason here. The, the Samaritans, they took great pride in the fact that this was Jacob's Well. Remember that they held on to the, to the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy. They claimed Jacob as their own forebear, their own forefather, uh, indeed, he did receive this piece of land. Genesis 33 says that. It says nothing in the Old Testament about whether or not Jacob built a well there. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We don't know. But they were very proud of this well. They said, our own forefather Jacob built, dug this well. He drank from himself. And so we've got this connection to Jacob through drinking from this well. It was a good well, by the way. It's, it's still there today, apparently. You can, you can still drink water from there if you want to. Uh, it's about 30 meters deep. Um, constant flow of good fresh water. Samaritans, they were very proud of this well. And they were very, very thankful of their forefather Jacob. They thought very highly of Jacob. In fact, they thought more highly of Jacob than anybody except, of course, the one that they also believed to come, and that would be the coming Messiah. And so now here's Jesus. He's sitting by this well in the middle of the day, and this woman comes on her own to this well to draw water. Now, most Bible commentators, when they look at this and they start discussing this, they observe that this is actually very unusual. That a woman would be coming on her own, highly unusual. That she'd be coming in the middle of the day, also unusual. Normally, to go draw water from the well, yes, it was a woman's job in those days, but these women would go at the early in the morning or, or into the evening. They'd go there as a group, and they'd actually sit down there, they'd chat together, they'd talk together, they'd draw their water together as well. But now here she is, middle of the day, all alone. Now why she came alone in the middle of the day is not clear. But perhaps these Bible commentators are right, it's because of who she was. And that's clear, she was an adulteress. She'd had five husbands in the past. She's living with a man now who's not a husband. Her life's a mess. And no doubt the sharp tongues of the other women in the village would have told her so. But Jesus, he has a reason to speak with her. And his reason for speaking was the same reason as he had to speak to Nicodemus. Now, before we read this, I, I reminded you of Nicodemus in chapter 3. Same reason. And, and it's worth comparing for a moment. Nicodemus in chapter 3 and this woman in chapter 4. First of all, you would see that on the one hand, they're polar opposites. But then you work through that, you realize that actually there's much about them that is the same. 
How were they opposites? Well, those of you who, who know that story well, you would know that Nicodemus was a man. She's a woman. Nicodemus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Nicodemus is a ruler. Uh, she's an outcast. Nicodemus had the name for being morally upright. She's got a reputation for being sexually immoral. Nicodemus would have been shocked, therefore, that anybody would have compared him, him to a woman of such character and a Samaritan woman at that. And so on that level, there's nothing at all which is the same about Nicodemus and this woman. But when Jesus met Nicodemus and when Jesus met this woman, they were ultimately both in exactly the same position. And I want you to think about that because it's important for us also when we, we really get down to it. Both Nicodemus and this woman were dead in their sin. Both Nicodemus and this woman needed to be saved. And the only way that Nicodemus could be saved and the only way for this Samaritan woman to be saved was through the one who would die for their sin and who would grant them a new life through his Holy Spirit. But neither of them knew it. But then like he did with Nicodemus, Jesus is also going to pry into the depths of the heart of the Samaritan woman and he's going to show her her need for a savior. This is how he does it, verse 7. Woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Was, Please, lady, when you drop your bucket down the well and you draw out some of that cool, clean water, please... Please give me just a little bit of it so I can have a drink too. Now, on the surface of it, it just sounds like an everyday request. Reasonable. Jesus sitting there is a stranger. He's thirsty. He wants a drink. He's got no bucket. The water is deep. But the woman says she's taken by surprise. She's, she's floored. She's shocked at this. Verse 9. A Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John adds a little note here. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And I've already explained why that is. And what it also means, that a Jew would, not, would hardly have spoken to a Samaritan woman. And he certainly would not have allowed himself to be contaminated by using her bucket or her cup. You see, they would have said, that's totally unclean. And we're going to be contaminated by that uncleanness of the Samaritans if I did that. But then Jesus does something really surprising, verse 10. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And you see, this is where things suddenly take a change. This is where we first get to learn that John, 4, John chapter 4 is not a story about a thirsty Jesus asking a drink from a woman who's, who's able to give him one. But John chapter 4 is about a life-giving Savior who is offering a drink to a thirsty Samaritan woman. So who's thirsty ultimately is not Jesus but this woman. But this woman didn't understand it. When she heard the Lord Jesus speak about this living water, she, she, she thought he meant flowing water, uh, water that comes from a stream. 
And so she's wondering, well, who is this man that would, would say this? Verse 11 and 12. The woman said to him, Sir, you, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and all his livestock. Remember, I, I encourage you to think about this woman in connection with Nicodemus. Well, here too. Remember when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and told him he had to be born again? What was Nicodemus' response? Look, what's going on here, Jesus? I don't get you. I don't understand. He took Jesus literally too, and he said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can you enter a second time to your mother's womb and be born? But now what we get to understand here is that Jesus, just as he wasn't talking about a physical rebirth there, here he's not talking about a physical drink, physical water. He's talking about the gift of God, and he's actually talking about himself. So this is what he says, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now this woman, she's still not getting it. She's still thinking in terms of natural water. She still thinks that Jesus is talking about, about something that's, that's, that's really pretty much the same as what we have in our modern day tap. Get this thing sticking out of the wall. Got a funny metal thing on top of it. You give it a twist and voila, the water just comes bursting out. You're thinking, wouldn't that be amazing? I wouldn't have to go to this well anymore. I wouldn't have to drop my bucket down anymore. I could just like get my water just like that. Oh, please give me one of those. She wouldn't have to go back to this, this well. She wouldn't have to deal with the stares of these gossiping other women. This, this, this guy, this, this Jewish man, he must be a, a miracle worker. And if he could provide with one of those special things, oh, that would be amazing. And so this is what she says. She says, see, I'm not making this up about taps. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But do you see the Samaritan woman's problem here? She's got all sorts of problems. Her private life's a mess. She's gone through five husbands. None of them worked out. Now she's shacking up with a man who's not even a husband. She appears to be ostracized by her own people. She's an outcast in the city of Sica. She's forced to get water in the middle of the day. But actually, she's proud. She's a proud Samaritan woman. She knows about Jacob. She knows about the history of the world she's standing at. She knows about the debates between Jews and Samaritans, where you are to worship, Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. But all she's hearing of when she hears Jesus speak about living water was the offer of water coming from a tap. And it would mean no more treks to Jacob's well. But none of these things, the mess of private life was in, the need to draw water with a cloud hanging over her head, the question of who's worshipping at Mount Gerizim in Jerusalem, none of these things was her real problem. They were only symptoms of what her real problem was. The Samaritan's woman, Samaritan woman's problem, it was that she was thirsty, but she was thirsty for salvation, but she didn't 
even realize it. What this, need, what this woman needed was to be confronted with herself. She needed to be brought face to face with her own sins, her own needs. She needed to be face to face with her desperate need for a savior. And my friends and brothers and sisters, the same applies to us, to all of us. And the same applies to every single person that you're going to meet in the week to come. It's not difficult to find people who's going to agree with you that life isn't working out the way they planned, that, that everything's just, just, just going wrong. It's not difficult to find people who are feeling so empty and drained that they want to be filled up with something that just can't be satisfied. But calling in the tap doctor and installing a tap in this Samaritan woman's house, it wasn't going to do it. And that tap would never have filled her empty soul. What the Samaritan woman needed and what we all need is to be confronted with the real need in our life. The need to be forgiven. The need to have salvation. The need to belong with body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what Jesus is leading this woman up to. But he's not going to leave her hanging. He's going to drive the point home to her. And so he says to her, go home. Call your husband and come back here. It brings me then to my, my second point. Uh, what can satisfy Call your husband, Jesus says, come here. In this way, he's gently but firmly, he's, he's prying into the depths of the Samaritan woman's heart. This, this, this woman, she's empty. She tried to find happiness. She tried to find satisfaction. She couldn't find it. And five times she'd be married to five different men, no doubt hoping every time that this one is going to last. And now I'm finally going to be happy. But it didn't last. She wasn't happy. And now she, she turns to Jesus and she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says this, verse 17 and 18. You're right. It's saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? By revealing both the Samaritan woman's past and also her present, he's showing her the emptiness, the barrenness of her soul. She's thirsty in the worst possible way. And Jesus makes her see it. And that's what we all need. We all need to see and to understand just how thirsty we all really are. Just how barren our souls are apart from Jesus. Almost everybody understands that they're empty in and of themselves. Everyone seems to be seeking after something. There's the never-ending saga of the showbiz world. People falling into love, breaking up again. There are those on the outside who seem to have it all. Wealth and power and fancy house and a busy social life. And they've been working their way up and up and up to get to the, to the peak. To the peak of where they're, they're hoping to be. 
and then it all comes crashing down. And they're feeling broken and flattened and depressed and think, what was all that about? And there are others who try other things, anything from sex, drugs, and alcohol, but even just, just working out, just going to the gym or just, just yeah, doing all these things to, to, to embark on some sort of an experience or even some sort of spiritual experience, desperate to find that which is really lasting, desperate to have your thirst quenched forever, but nothing seems to work and it gets messier and your life gets messier as you get older and your soul feels emptier and you end up feeling dead pretty flat and sometimes feeling numb it's like there's no feeling left and then along comes Jesus and you know what Jesus says John 7 now verse 37 if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink or to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who was saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 10. The Samaritan had, had asked Jesus in John 4 verse 12, she said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And now Jesus says, yes, I am. Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you drink. This is an amazing, this incredible moment in the history of God's salvation and, and the unfolding of that. The Old Testament spoken of this moment. The Old Testament spoken about how Jesus was going to do this. Isaiah chapter 55, 1 and 2. Uh, come everyone who thirsts and come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat and come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Isaiah 12, verse 3. With, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This is what Jesus had said he would do. So this is what God had said that he would do in the Old Testament. This is what Jesus had now come to do. This is the water that the Samaritan woman had come to bring, had come to receive from Jesus. This is the water that Jesus came to offer her. This is the water that Jesus comes to offer you. And Jesus would make that available, giving himself up so that, so that we might receive the gift of God, the salvation of our souls. Jesus is going to go on to hang on the cross and on the cross, do you know what he says there at one stage? He says, I thirst. He said, I thirst so that we who believe in him might never thirst, but drink from the water of life. That's what we need. You know, by nature, we're all thirsty. And if that thirst is not truly quenched, that thirst will stay with us forever. It's another parable Jesus spoke of. Luke chapter 16. A man called Lazarus and a rich man 
Lazarus seemed like he was, a, he was a poor man and he was sick and so forth, lying at the gates of, of this rich man. It's like he had nothing. He dies and is received into heaven in the bosom of Abraham, it says there. The rich man has got everything here on earth, but he doesn't have that relationship with God. And he dies and he ends up in hell. And, and, and in, this, in this parable, it's a parable, it's a story. But in this parable, he's looking up to heaven and he sees Lazarus there in the bosom, in the bosom of Abram. And this is Luke 16, verse 24. And he cries out, Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to, and, and, and to cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. And Jesus is making a point here. Because he says, that's what it is for everyone who's not satisfied in Jesus. But for those who belong to him and who drink in what Christ has provided, there's a different future that awaits. And I'll finish on that. It's in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15 to 17. For those who belong to Jesus, there is a different future that awaits for us. It's this. Therefore they, that's those who are in Jesus, therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them in His presence. And it says this, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so I ask you today, are you thirsty? Do you know what it is to be thirsty? And have you learned that the things of this world could never satisfy? Turn to Jesus and say to Jesus, please, give me a drink. And he'll give it. And then drink. Drink from the wells of salvation. Drink from what Jesus Christ offers to you. And you will never be thirsty again. Amen.